there's this uh, series. We're going to do two weeks of a series. It's called Final Words. And it just simply means these are my final words as the senior pastor at the Bridge Fellowship. It doesn't mean that I'm dying. It doesn't mean that the church is dying for sure because the bridge is going to live on. These are not the final words of the bridge. These just happen to be uh, an opportunity for me to say some final things to you, my church, while I'm still your lead pastor. And it's an honor to get to do that because a lot of people, including pastors who resign from churches, they don't get a chance to spend some time and say, God, what do you want me to say? And so that's where I've been the last um, three weeks. Uh, I think 20 days ago today, I had spinal fusion surgery on my back, had some screws and plates and uh, other metal stuff put in my back. And uh, I've had a lot of time to stare at the ceiling and ask God this question. Hey, Lord, what do you want me to tell your church? Because it's not my church. It's never been my church. And, and, and he's given me some things to say. And so I want to start by just remembering this. We've been saying this since we've opened the doors as, the, as, the, as a church called the Bridge Fellowship. And it's this. Never, ever. And it's not going to change when the new pastor arrives. Nobody in this room today came here needing to hear something that Steve Ferris has to say. Nothing I have to say has the power to change your life. It never has and it never will. If you feel like that, that's the Holy Spirit working in your life. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to know everything that we're going to say today is from God. If you, if you sit there and I say something today and you go, that dude's reading my mail. He's talking exactly to me. I'm not reading your mail. God's reading your mail. Okay, and, and, and it probably means you need to listen to, to what he has to say uh, to you, okay? Now, while I'm at it, before, and none, none of this is my message today, okay? So, so just relax, okay? And I promise I'm trying to talk as fast as I can, so you guys listen faster and I'll try to talk faster, okay? All right, w- while I'm at it, I want you to know, skeptic or not, Wherever you are in your journey with Christ, whether you are a skeptic or you are walking with him and you know that he is your everything, regardless of who you are, regardless of what season of life you're in, regardless of what you've been through, let me tell you this. You are not here by accident today. God brought you here. And he, he made it possible for you to be here because he has something he wants to say to you today. He wants to talk to you. And I know there's people sitting here going, oh, baloney, man, come on. Let let me give you some examples, okay? None of us in this room have any idea how many near misses we had while we were driving this week. Where we we came this close to getting T-boned, where there's no way it may change the course of our life, let alone allowed us to be in this place today. There could have been some nasty bacteria in your body that was about to pounce and attack. And, and, and maybe it was just going to make you really, really sick so that you couldn't be here today. 
And God arranged the DNA and the chemicals in your body so that that bacteria could not attack you so that you could be here today. That's how big of a God we serve. It could have been travel issues, a busted water pipe at your house. Your dog could have run away as you were leaving for church this morning. There are a lot of things that could have happened to prevent you from being here today, but they didn't. And so the fact that you are here ought to make you sit up on the edge of your seat and say, huh, there must be some reason God has me here today, so I'm listening. Okay? Now we're going to start the message. Okay? All right. So for each of the next two weeks, here's how it's going to work. We're going to tell one or two stories from the Bible. Um, and then we're going to tell some real life stories. Not that the Bible aren't real life stories, but we're going to tell some bridge stories also. So we're going to tell one or two stories straight from Scripture. And then we're going to tell some stories about people that are probably sitting in this room right now today. Or if they're not sitting in this room, they have been a part of the Bridge Fellowship. The Bridge has, God has used the Bridge somehow to change their life or, or whatever. Okay, so um, as we go through each story, starting today, uh, I'll share some truths that are everlasting. And I want to emphasize the word everlasting because it's a big word. And, and, and I did a word study this week. Like, I, I study words. I study Greek words. And that should impress you. And I want you to know, in Greek, the word everlasting means lasts forever. Okay? So, so I want you to know that. Some of you, it's going to take you a while, okay? But when you get that, you're going to know how, you know, amazing and intelligent that thought is, okay? These are everlasting things from God's Word that He, God Himself, brought you here today to hear. And we're, we'll stop throughout as we read these stories, and I'm just going to tell you they're worth taking a picture of. Here at the bridge, we're not big on taking notes. If you take notes, we don't judge people. Like if you got your, you know, big binder and you love, you know, writing and highlighting it, knock yourself out. But we are not offended at all. We think it's a lot easier if you see one of these everlasting truths from God's Word on the screen today, if you'll just take a picture of it, it'll last longer. Make, longer, make it your screensaver, share it on social media, whatever. Just know, you're, feel free to, to, to save some of these. Here's why. Because some of these everlasting truths from God's Word, not from my mouth, not from my mind, not some idea that I came up with, but from the Word of God his inspired word, it might be a game changer for you. In fact, it might be a life changer. So take a picture of it, and, and it's going to be good, okay? So, so um, here we go. We're going to start uh, with a story from the New Testament that I believe, with all of my heart, sums up the Bridge Fellowship, okay? I'm going to tell it as fast as I possibly can, so listen fast, and as we go through, we'll stop and say some really uh, important things and take pictures of them, and then when we're done, we're going to tell some other stories that are going to blow your mind because they happen to people in this room. Okay, here we go. John chapter 8, starting in verse 1, the Bible says this. Now Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. 
And a crowd soon gathered. Everywhere he went, people would follow. And, and I'm not talking about a few people. Hundreds and thousands of people would gather because they, they started hearing about the Jesus show. And some of them heard, hey, this guy can change my life. And some of them just heard, this guy does really cool tricks like he turns water into wine and he makes blind people to see and he brings dead people back to life. And so for whatever reason, whether it was the right reasons or the wrong reasons, people would follow Jesus everywhere he went. Uh, uh, Hundreds, literally uh, sometimes thousands uh, of people would, would follow him everywhere he went. And so that's what's happening here, okay? Uh, a crowd is gathered, and he sat down. Jesus sat down and uh, taught them. I'm going to drink while we talk because my medicine makes my mouth dry. So hang on. Verse 3. As he was speaking, Jesus, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, these are like church people that, that knew a lot about the Bible, but they were missing the main point, okay? It says... The, the, the teachers of religious law, remember, Jesus is speaking to a crowd just like this. It's a setting just like this, but it's probably outside in the middle of the marketplace. Picture like first in Maine around Target or whatever. He's probably out there and he's teaching. And all of a sudden, these teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd. Now, let me stop and say this for a minute. Adultery in Jesus' day was one of the most egregious crimes you could commit. And let me tell you why. First of all, only by women. Men could commit all the adultery they wanted. But if a woman was caught committing adultery, and in case you don't know what adultery is, it's, it's just a churchy word that means you, you uh, had sex with someone that you're not married to. Okay, you, had, you, you were cheating on somebody. You were, you were sleeping with someone that was not your spouse. And, and they brought this girl out, and that's what's happening to her. Is she's, she's literally, wrap your mind around this, she has been caught in the act of adultery. And what that means is some guys were watching her. They probably were following her to the house of the guy that she was sleeping with they gave them time to start, you know, hanging out, you know, Netflix and chill. And then, <laughs> then they burst into the room and they dragged this woman out, probably completely naked, into the middle of this crowd where Jesus is teaching. I want you to get the picture there. It's, it's got to be, wouldn't you agree, the worst moment of this woman's life. And so here's the first everlasting truth from God's Word that you ought to take a picture of today. Your sin, yours, your sin, your poor choices will eventually catch up with you and you will be found out. Now what's sad about this story is this. Is that the man who was committing adultery was never mentioned again. Just the woman. And they treated it like the worst thing she had ever done in her life. And the way we know that is by the very next words that they say. Look at verse 4. 
Remember, they've dragged her out. She's completely naked in front of all these people. She's been caught literally in the act of adultery. And this is what they say. Teacher. That's what they're referring to Jesus. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses said we should stone her. And, 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 and to stone someone meant you picked up these big rocks and you literally put them in front of the crowd and everybody who wanted to started throwing these huge rocks at them until they were dead. It was a style of ex- execution in that day called stoning someone. Okay, And, and, and these guys say, hey, hey teacher, this lady caught red-handed in adultery... Now, now you say you love the law of Moses, and the law of Moses says we should stone her, and that means the Old Testament. What do you say? And what they're doing is they're trying to back Jesus into a corner, right? And, 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 and they're putting him in a hard spot, and he's saying, Jesus, we just caught her. We just dragged her out of bed, clearly, because she's laying here naked in the dirt in front of everyone. And, and the, the Old Testament says that we should throw rocks at her until she's dead. What do you say? Now, I'm going to get to what Jesus said in a minute. But first, I want to share another everlasting truth with you that is going to make your life a lot easier if you'll just remember this. There will always be people, including other Christians, who are ready to throw rocks when you mess up. And it's sad, but it's true. And if you expect anything else, you're going to go through life really disappointed and really frustrated and really bitter. Because the world we live in is full of really broken people. And their brokenness, one of the ways they deal with their brokenness is that when they find someone else's brokenness, they attack it. And they go, hey, that person's broken more than I am, and so I got my rock ready, and if I can throw enough rocks at other people while they're hurting, maybe no one will notice how much I'm hurting. But Jesus did, he, he did absolute, absolutely have some things to say about this. So let's keep reading. Remember, they're trying to trap Jesus. Verse 6. They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against them. But Jesus stooped down instead and wrote in the dust with his finger. Remember, they didn't have paved roads back then. So even though it was in the marketplace and there's thousands of people probably gathered here, she's, this poor girl is in the middle of the dirt right here. And it says, instead of answering their question, remember what their question was is, hey, The Old Testament says we should throw rocks at her until she's dead. What do you say, Jesus? And instead of answering, the Bible says, Jesus stooped down and he started writing in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding, verse 7, an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, I'll tell you what. Let the one in this crowd who has never sinned in their life throw the first rock. Then the Bible says, verse 8, he stooped down again and wrote in the dust again. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Now I'm going to stop right there and, and, and let's just talk here for a minute. Jesus 
could have just joined in. He could have caved in to the pressure that these people were trying to place on him and he could have picked up rocks and started throwing with them. In fact, if you think about it, in literal terms, the only person, the way Jesus read it here, the only person in the room that, or in that crowd that day that actually had the authority to throw a rock at this lady was Jesus. Because remember what he said, the, first, the person in this crowd who has never sinned, you throw the first rock. Well, that would have been Jesus. He's the only one who had authority to throw a rock that day. But instead of throwing a rock, he starts writing in the dust. And a lot of theologians think what he was writing that day is he started writing in the dirt the sins of some of the very church leaders who hunted this woman down and dragged her out in the front of this crowd. Like literally, he started writing their sins out. And I don't know what their sins are. And by the way, let's not... This is an important thing to stop and say today. This story we're, we're reading in John chapter 8 today is not really about adultery. Sounds like it is, but it's about whatever you're struggling with. Maybe, maybe yours is adultery, I don't know. But you've got to fill in the blank right here for whatever... It is that has you stuck in life. Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Jealousy? Depression? Whatever it is. Greed? It's not just about her. This story is about you and me. And Jesus starts writing these, these sins. And maybe he wrote some of those words. Greed and, and, and jealousy and maybe whatever he is. And, and now... Remember, what happened is, one by one it says, the accusers began to slip away, beginning with the oldest. And I believe the reason the oldest began to slip away first is two reasons. Number one, they were smart enough to know, I've done some things in my life, I probably ought to get the heck out of here. And number two, the, reasons they, the reason they were the first ones to slip away is because they knew their sin was probably just as bad, if not worse, than the sin that they dragged this woman out there for. But regardless, whoever you are, however old you are, the Bible says one by one people began to slip away and you could hear the rocks drop. I had my rock ready and I, I was going to throw it at her. I was ready, man. I, I had my aim. I knew right where I was going to hit her. And when Jesus started writing in the dirt, one by one, you, you could hear the sound of these rocks dropping and people just started walking away. And look what the Bible says. They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Verse 10. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And, and I got to believe she said it with a pretty timid, crushed, mortified, embarrassed voice. No, Lord, not one of them condemned me. And, 
Look at the next words of Jesus. Jesus said, neither do I. I don't condemn you either. And then he says this, go and sin no more. And then it's really interesting because it's almost as if, and we don't know how everything happened. We don't know if somebody ran in and and covered this woman up and escorted her out, you know, to give her some dignity. We, We don't know. But all of a sudden, Jesus is talking to the whole crowd again. He goes from this quiet moment with this woman who literally has just had the worst moment of her life where he's lifted her up and said, I'm not here to judge you. Go and sin no more. And I'll come back to those words in a minute. But he goes back and he's talking to the whole crowd again. And this is what he says in verse 12. Don't miss this. It says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said this, I am the light of the world. If you'll follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And I think he was talking about the lady still, but I think he was talking to everybody there. And this is what I think happened that day. Jesus wasn't just saying in verse 12, I'm the light of the world. I think he was saying to the girl as she was escorted away naked and everybody that was sitting in that crowd today, I think he was saying this, I'm not just the light of the world, I came to be the light of your world. And I came to trade darkness for light. And I came to give you something that you haven't had in a long time, light in your eyes, light in your soul. That's what I came for. I didn't didn't come to condemn people. In in, in fact, as we end this story in John chapter 8, there are just a few more like everlasting truths that I want to put up here on the screen, so let's just share them real quick. Number one, don't forget this. Jesus didn't come to this world to condemn. That's not why he came. He came to rescue and redeem. And when you take a picture of that word redeem, let it really settle in your mind because that word redeem comes from a word in the Greek language that comes from a situation where people would go to the marketplace. They call it agora. That's where we get our word agoraphobia because agora meant the marketplace and that's where all the people went and agoraphobia is is a fear of people or crowds right and 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 the word redeem comes from a word that, that is the same word where people would go there and they would buy slaves for the very reason to set them free like other people would go to that that crowd that marketplace to trade slaves they were like, man, that one looks like they're in good shape. That one looks like he could build me a lot of stuff or he could really help me out in the garden or the farm. I'll take that one. But then there were other people who would come and they wouldn't say anything. They would just say, yes, I'll buy that one. And after they bought that slave, they would set him free. That's the word redeem. That's what Jesus came to do for you. And he bought you with his own blood. He bought you with his own life. 
He didn't come to condemn you. Hey, hey, look at me today. Look, look at me. If you really knew me, like if you knew me like my wife knows me or some of the closest friends in my life know me, you know what you would say? How in the heck did that guy ever get to be a pastor? You would. I promised you would. You'd go, that guy has done some really bad things. You know why I can stand here today? Because I'm still not worthy. I'm no more worthy than I ever was. You know why I can stand here today and teach God's word to you? Because I was redeemed. Because Jesus paid for all my stuff. And, and, And don't miss this. Look at me. What we're about here at the Bridge Fellowship is teaching people that. That Jesus didn't come to judge you. He's not here to poke his finger in your chest and remind you of all the things that you've done wrong. You don't need anybody to remind you of that. He came to rescue you. He came to set you free. He came to turn the lights on in your life so you don't have to live in darkness anymore. This is the next one. When Jesus said, go and sin no more, he wasn't making a threat. He wasn't looking at this girl and, and, and who, who had just been caught in adultery. He wasn't looking at her and shaking his, fist, his finger at her and going, don't you do this again. That's not what was happening here. When Jesus said, go and sin no more, what he was really saying is with a voice of compassion and love, not of anger and threat. What he was really saying is, hey, honey, there's a better way. You don't have to settle for this. You don't don't have to settle for a life like this. There's a better way. And then here's the best one of all. I mentioned it earlier, but I I wanted it on the screen so you could have it forever because there's going to come a day when it's going to feel really dark and maybe for some of you that's today or this week or heck, maybe for some of you that's been this year or it just feels dark. Jesus didn't just come to be the light of the world. He came to be the light of your world. When Jesus came to earth and when he did things like this, like lift this adulterous woman out of the dirt, he wasn't just doing it to make this general statement that I'm the light of the world and that's a pretty good trick so you should follow me. That's not what was happening in this moment and that's not what Jesus was doing when he was here on earth. The example that he's giving here in John chapter 8 with the adulterous woman is this. That for you, you, sitting at the Bridge Fellowship today, for whatever the heck reason brought you here today, the example that he's given us in John chapter 8 is this, that you, in your worst, darkest moment, he came to turn the lights on in your soul again. He came to put the song back in your heart again. He came to make it possible for you to smile again. He came to give you hope again. He came to let you know that the plan for your life that he's had since before you were born is not dead. It's still intact, no matter what you've done. And he came to remind you that he loves 
you no matter what and that I have a great and wonderful plan for your life no matter what. Look at me today. There's a lot of churches on this, and and I'm not throwing rocks. I love other churches. But I grew up in a lot of churches where they would preach this much right here. They would say, Jesus loves you, man, but you better not sin. Or you'll put, Jesus, he's watching and he'll get you. And I'm telling you, that's not biblical because that's not the God we serve. The God we serve and the God that we talk about here at the Bridge Fellowship is the one that sent his son to redeem you and to pay your stuff. And, and I know this is taking a long time, and I'm, and I'm done with that part, okay? For the few, few minutes that we have left together today, I want to tell you some real stories, and I'm going to try to tell them fast too. First story I want to tell you about today is about a guy named Jason Pack sitting on the front row right here in a baseball cap. When he's around the bridge, you can't miss him because he's like six foot four. And he wears a cowboy hat. And he looks scary. <laughs> he was the first person I met when I moved here to Colorado. And let me tell you how. The church that sent us here to start this church, in my last two weeks of working at that church, it just so happened that one of Jason's best friends from high school also worked there. We only worked at the same church for two weeks, just by chance. And it was a huge church with over 200 people on staff. And it just so happens that one day, Mark and I, Jason's friend, ran into each other in the copy room. Sorry, we ran into each other in the copy room on one of five campuses at this church. That's how big it was. Like, that's how rare it was that we would run into each other. And I introduced myself. I said, hey, I don't think I've met you, my Steve. Hey, my name's Mark. I just started, and, and I told him... Oh, well, I'm just leaving. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Colorado Springs to start a church. And his face just went white. And he said, you've you got to be kidding me. You're, you, you're going to Colorado Springs, Colorado to start a church? And I said, yeah, why? And he started fumbling around trying to find a piece of paper to write down a phone number. And he said, one of my very best friends lives in Colorado Springs. He's works at Fort Carson. He's been in combat multiple times and he's th- seen things that nobody in this world should see. And he's struggling emotionally. He's struggling spiritually. And he needs a friend. And so, it was the first moment where, for me, like, I'm still living in Arkansas, and it was, it was the first, oh, crap moment. Like, well, I guess I'm going to actually have to talk to people and see if they want to come to this church, right? <laughs> Starting with some dude named Jason. I didn't know what Jason looked like, but I met him at Chipotle at First in Maine. 
And he shows up in full fatigues, and he's huge, and he scared me. <laughs> and we talked that day, and, and don't get mad that I'm sharing this. But he told me that day how much his life was hurting. There were times he thought about giving up. And he just didn't think there was anybody that cared. And I said, well, here's what's crazy. This is crazy, and you can laugh at me if you want. But I'm, I'm starting a church here. And we left that day, and uh, we, we hung out again, and he was still scary, and he was not interested in coming to my church. He was looking for a church, but I don't think he was interested in mine because I, I'm, I'm not sure he bought into who really who I was. But I feel confident saying in front of him, in front of Lindsay, and all of you today, I think the reason that Jason and Lindsay Pack still sit here today as a crucial part of this church is because over time, and it took time, over time, I proved to Jason that I wasn't a fake like all the other churches that he had been to. And I proved to him that I really cared about him. Jason's life is far from perfect and he'd be the first to tell you that still. They, they are originals. They go back to the library when we met in the library. They're bridge originals. And, and, to, and so three years later, he would tell you, still got a lot of issues that I'm working through. I texted his wife, Lindsay, and asked her to just give me some thoughts about what the bridge means to them. And I want you to listen to this. Please listen. This is, these are her words. We love having a community. I was going to brag today about how I, my, my emotions are so much more un, under control than they were the last time we were together. <laughs> said, we love having a community that embraces the belief that it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay not okay. Because that has meant for us that when you pass someone at church and they ask, how are you? You don't have to robotically respond with, I'm good. Instead, it's safe to say, I'm not good. I'm struggling. And that's what we wanted this place to be. That's what we hoped it would be when we, when we moved our family across the country. Several of us. We hoped it would be a place where people would feel safe to say, not okay. The Pack family isn't perfect, but you know what they are? They're a picture of the woman in John chapter 8 because they are daily, weekly, yearly, sometimes quickly, sometimes really, really slowly moving more from darkness into the light. And it's not because of me. 
And it's not even because of something called the Bridge Fellowship. It's because of Jesus Christ. And it's because they've surrounded themselves with people who are chasing after the same thing they are, a relationship with Jesus Christ. I promise I'm going fast. There's a single mom here today named Kim Fiddler. She's sitting right back here with two of her boys. She's actually a single mom to four boys. One of them has special needs. His name's Braden. You've probably seen him around here because he gets away every now and then. <laughs> he makes a break for it. And man, that kid gives the best hugs. And I'm going to tell you some things about Kim that she, I, she didn't give me permission to say, so she might not come to the bridge anymore, but it doesn't matter because neither am I. <laughs> Kim's a mess sometimes. She's an absolute mess emotionally. She doesn't think she's a very good mom. Sometimes she doesn't know how she's going to make it financially. Her life is nuts, if you could imagine. And I'm sitting here looking at Levi and Ian, and part of it's y'all's fault that, that her life is nuts. But what you two know is that she's a great mom. She's an amazing mom. She's super mom. You, you guys know that. I know you do. And Braden knows that. In his own way, he knows that. I asked Kim to write some thoughts. And she wrote a lot. And so I can't share them all with you today. But I'm just going to read real quick something she wrote to me and sent me in an email a couple of days ago. She said, my name is Kim and I'm a single mom of four wonderful boys. My youngest has Down syndrome. I started at the bridge when I was about five months old. They were meeting in the cafeteria at the time. Lindsay Courtright invited me. The reason that makes me emotional is if you don't invite people to come to this, their lives can't be changed. If you come here with a spectator mentality and you constantly go, well, somebody else will invite them. No, they won't. Because God divinely arranged your life so that you could be the one to invite them. And Lindsay invited Kim. I agreed to go, but I was skeptical about the whole thing because it was so small and new. I honestly didn't think I would get anything out of it, but I went to check it out, and wow. I remember walking in and being surrounded by warm and welcoming people. It felt good that people took time to say hello and welcome me. I thought, this is a good start, but I'm still not convinced. 
After hearing the music and listening to Steve's sermon for the first time, I knew that I was going to call the Bridge Fellowship my home. I couldn't wait to volunteer and help serve. I especially couldn't wait on Sundays to hear the Word of God through Steve's stories and humor and Brandon's music. And and I'm going to call a time out here because Kim's the worst of this. You're, You're the worst at this. Sometimes she'll go, you have made such a... She'll, she'll look at me or point to Brandon or something. She'll, she'll go, you have made such a difference in my life. And it's not me. It has never been me. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, has made a difference in your life. He might have let me play some little small part, but look at me. If this place has changed you, it's not because of the bridge and it's certainly not because of me. If your life has changed, it's because Jesus did it. The same Jesus that arranged for you to be here today so he could talk to you. She said, at first it felt awkward being a single mom with a special needs kid and being a lot older than most of the people attending. But everyone was welcoming and warm and heartfelt and helpful. The best part is I felt safe enough to be real. I could wear my heart on my sleeve, be emotional, cry, be scared, be joyful. And no matter what, there was never any judgment whatsoever. And if you know Kim, she's done all those things. And she doesn't care. And I love that she doesn't care. I'm a very insecure person who feels out of place in most circumstances in life. I'm always anxious and nervous about starting new things or meeting new people. But wonderful people... But the wonderful people at the bridge, for example, the Pattons, Quayars... Amanda for reassuring me that Braden would be okay in class. Chelsea smiles. Laura Helms smiles in words of encouragement. Robin for her awe-inspiring strength. All of these things made me feel safe and accepted. Because I'm still a single mom who didn't have a support system or family around, I thought I could do life alone. Does that sound familiar? A lot of people think that. Well, let me say, being someone who deals with depression and anxiety and panic attacks and loneliness and fear, not to mention just the daily life struggles of working and raising four boys alone and trying to meet their needs and provide for them, wondering and worrying how to be financially okay, I soon realized after I started at the bridge that I didn't have to do this alone. Because of God and Steve and Michelle and the many people at the bridge, I have started releasing the anxiety and fear and have started to come out of my shell and slowly become the person God wants me to be. Reading God's Word, setting aside time in the morning, even if it's only five minutes before work, and surrounding myself with people and other things that are positive have been tools that help me grow. And I want you to know 
I, I, I filled that in. She wants you to know it's okay to admit sometimes that we need a little more help in this thing called life. Now real quick, because I know I've already gone over, I want to say some things about Kim today and how she reminds me of the girl in John chapter 8. She reminds me of the girl in John chapter 8 because I bet that girl was a lot stronger than she ever imagined she was. And so are you. The light is shining brighter and brighter every day and the darkness is getting weaker and weaker in in her life. I see it in her eyes. The light's getting brighter and the dark is getting weaker. She's learning to allow people back into her life after being hurt by so many. She's learning to trust again. And the best part, she's starting to give herself away in service. Kim, I want to say again, you're a great, you're a great mom. And here's what you guys don't know, and not a part of the story, and not a part of the letter that she wrote. Last night, as I was laying in bed, she texted me. Kim started reaching out to her neighbors. Watch this, okay? You'll know that God's working in your life when you stop making it about you all the time and you start helping other people. And for a long time in Kim's life, she was running around in a circle going, the sky is falling, my life's falling apart. And now God's moving her life in such a way that she's reaching out to other people like her neighbors. And last night, her neighbor's daughter overdosed. And guess who took him to the hospital? Last story I have to tell you. It's about another single mom. She's actually on her staff. Her name's Johanna Gonzalez. Johanna is literally an original. She's one of the very first people who ever came to this church. And when she came, she was a single mom in the middle of a custody battle. She had a daughter named Christina, who I think at the time was 10 or 11 years old, who was an absolute skeptic when it came to things like God. I think it's safe to say when we met Johanna and Christina, they were, they were probably both at the darkest point of their lives. And I don't think I'm overstating that. When I say her daughter Christina was a, an extreme skeptic, I'm not joking you. The first day that Johanna talked Christina into going to the kids' church, They were talking about Lazarus and how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and he called out to the tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And and he literally, with his words, brought Lazarus back to life. Christina went home and basically, and these are my words, I'm choosing my words, 
she said, Mom, that's a bunch of BS. Why are they trying to teach kids stuff like that? That's not real. It's an 11-year-old girl that was that much of a skeptic. That same... That same 11-year-old girl called the meeting with the pastor. She said, I want to talk to you. I have questions. Johanna and Christina came over to our house. And for, for what, for me, felt like 10 hours, this little 11-year-old girl grilled me on everything in theology that she could think of because she wanted answers. She was trying to deal with this new life of where her mom and dad weren't together anymore and part of the time she lived with her dad and part of the time she lived with her mom and it sucked. And she was trying to figure out how a loving God fit into all that. Because we're out of time today, I just want to tell you this. That literally, and if I've had a special moment with you, and we're going to tell more stories next week, if I've had a special moment with you, and the fact that I'm telling you this is my favorite moment as the pastor of the Bridge Fellowship, don't get your feelings hurt. But I'm telling you, my absolute favorite moment as the pastor of this church is when I had the opportunity to baptize that 11-year-old skeptic because she understood and she handed over the keys of her life to Jesus. And you see her all the time. You may not know who she is because she's back here running the camera. Or she's getting other technical things ready. She serves at her church. And I don't think I'm overstating this any more than I, than, than I know I wasn't overstating it when I said when we met Johanna and Christina, I really believe they were at the darkest moment of their life. You know what I believe? I believe that Jesus and the Bridge Fellowship are two of the most important things in their life today. I believe that. This is the Bridge Fellowship. This is what we birthed it to be. God changing people's lives. None of this is possible without Jesus Christ. The secret to the Bridge Fellowship is not a pastor who's authentic or how, how cool our music is or that we have donuts every Sunday, though that's really big. And I've told them after I leave as pastor, they better keep doing that. It's people finding hope. It's, it's people sharing hope. As we close, I want you to look on the screen at this command that the Apostle Paul gave his follower, the followers of Christ at one of the churches he helped start. 
you'll remember a few weeks ago when I announced my resignation, I, I, I taught us that, that Paul was a church planter. And he would go to these many churches, and one of them was in a town called Ephesus. And that's where we get the book of Ephesians. And this is what he wrote to the followers of, of Jesus. And actually, first, I want to read again the very last thing that Jesus said to the crowd in John chapter 8. Let me read that first. It says this in John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to the people, look at this, once more and said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of your world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness anymore because you will have the light that leads to life. Now here's what the Apostle Paul who at one time was a skeptic, just like Christina, wrote to the church at Ephesus, could have been maybe as much as a decade later. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, these are the words of Paul. He said, in the past you were full of darkness. But now, parentheses, because of Jesus Christ... You are full of light. So live like children who belong in the light. Light brings every kind of goodness, right living and truth. That is the message to the Bridge Fellowship in the coming days. That is my message that God gave me to tell you as part of my final words as your pastor, is that live like children who belong to the light. And if you're not sure what that looks like, let me break it down for you. Find people in their worst, darkest moments and let them know, I don't condemn you. Find people laying in the dirt thinking there is no hope and pick them up and dust them off and tell them, I'll walk with you. Come to my house and hang out. I'll accept you just like you are. It's okay to not be okay. And here's the secret. It's, it's not okay to stay not okay, but I'll walk with you until you're more okay. And I won't give up on you. Finally, find people who are walking in darkness point him to the light just keep doing that church it's not, a, it's not about me it's about Jesus just keep doing that just keep doing that and this church called the Bridge Fellowship will continue to thrive and God will honor it and he will bless it that's what be the church looks like just do that let's pray Jesus, thank you. I don't know why you chose me five years ago to put this dream in my heart of a church in Northeast Colorado Springs that was authentic and where it was safe to say that I'm not okay. 
and where people who were just a total mess and thought they weren't a very good mom could find hope and could find themselves again and realize they're a lot stronger than they ever thought they were. And we're single moms who were doing the best job they could to love their daughter who was in a really dark place. And an 11-year-old skeptic who had the chutzpah to call a meeting with the senior pastor of the church and ask really hard questions. Lord, I don't know why you chose me. But thank you. Thank you for letting me be a part of this. Even if it was just for three short years. Thank you, Jesus, for the people who literally changed their lives and came with us to build this thing called the Bridge Fellowship. And here's my prayer today. Jesus, I ask you right now today, as we are searching, would you lead your man, your next leader, to this church? And give him big ideas and big dreams to help more people leave darkness and walk into the light. I pray for his family. I pray that you would arrange it, God, and make it happen. Make it happen quickly. And if, and if it's your will that it doesn't happen quickly, I pray that the people sitting in this room will be the church. That they will keep being the church until that leader comes. Thank you, Jesus, for so many dozens and dozens of more stories like the three we told today. Thank you, Jesus, that you made those stories happen because the bridge didn't do it and I sure the heck didn't do it. Thank you, Jesus, that you change people's lives. That's what you do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.